Welcome to Deeper, a podcast of the Wollongong Baptist Church. Our podcast follows the Sunday sermon and aims to help our congregations go deeper into God's Word. Welcome everyone to the Deeper podcast as we continue to immerse ourselves into the book of Zechariah. And today we are specifically focusing on Zechariah chapter 4. My name is Kate Cole and we are also joined by Rod Bailey. Welcome, Rod. Great to be here, Kate. Now, some people might be a little confused. Yes. There's a handing of the baton that's taken place. So Clayton is no longer here. Mm. Um, he's done a great job. And um, But yes, you've had a month handover in the office as you've taken on his role. And he's going to be only at Tarmore, um, which is... You know, a loss. We we were reluctantly removing him from membership last night mm. at the church meeting, but um, yeah, I think it's it's great for Tamil Baptist, and um, yeah, we look forward to a, a new version of <laughs> the podcast now with you as our MC. Uh, big shoes to fill, but uh, we'll see how we go. Uh, but Clayton has offered to help me whenever I need that. He uh, he may regret that in weeks, months, even the years to come. Yeah. <laughs> so I continue. I'm sure I won't be asking him questions for that long. Uh, but anyway. Um, now, Rod, uh, last week you somehow managed to squeeze a conference into your already busy schedule. Can you give us a quick overview of what that was about and some of the ideas that you're excited to bring home to us at WBC? Yeah, we've been going as a team since 2017, um, and they have a different uh, theme at the conference each year. It's meant to be one where if you have a staff team, you go together and hear things together and then reflect and process. And so the theme this year was mobilization. It was about people serving in the life of the church. So we had lots of great ideas come to us about um, serving, um, running teams well, rather than just having people turn up on a roster. Uh, I think the two big things that probably came uh, to me at least and that we discussed at some length uh, driving back and while we were up there was having clear pathways in to serve for new people or people that have been at the church for a long time. So knowing uh, or how how can I get involved, uh, what would that look like, what's the commitment, um, and I think we can certainly increase our clarity on all of that. I think the second one is developing and uh, training leaders, making people feel equipped to do tasks. And so that's an ongoing thing in the life of the church. But sometimes it can be a bit ad hoc and, you know, we suddenly find ourselves, oh, we haven't got enough leaders. So at the moment we're crying out for uh, youth leaders at Immerse on Friday night and for kids' church as well. So, you know, you reach that point and you think, well, it's probably because we haven't had a pipeline of um, leaders and pathway for new people to come in and perhaps um, help out. Mm, that's right. Uh uh, that idea of mobilising, I, I think, will probably come up a little as we discuss the passage today, that idea of, of serving. And <laughs> Absolutely. So I think that's going to be relevant to our, our conversation as we as we move through this. Yeah. Uh, so speaking of the sermon, can you give us a recap of, of where you went with Zachariah for on, on Sunday? Sure. So the big question that I had was, why can we trust God's promises? And then the two answers to that was because uh, they don't depend on human strength. And secondly, because God's strength defies worldly wisdom. Um, So there's a lot of theme of uh, uh, strength versus weakness, of uh, God's enabling, um, rather than us thinking um, that we need to pull things off and therefore being overwhelmed by situations. Um, So, yeah. 
You mentioned on Sunday uh, that the lampstand or the menorah is representative of God rather than the community of returned exiles. Can you recap why this is so and how that helps us to think about the vision as a whole? Yes, I I think it's important because... um, they're under the pump, you know, God's people in this situation. There is a small group. They've returned from exile. There's a lot of people still sitting back in Babylon. They've got this huge task that Zechariah, God ultimately has put before them in the rebuilding of the temple. Uh, there will be leaders that God's going to raise up like Ezra and Nehemiah that will assist and spur them on in these tasks of rebuilding. Um, but the thing that will spur them the most is God's presence with his people. And so in the tabernacle, in Exodus 25, and then um, in Solomon's temple and so on, the menorah or this fancy lamp stand <laughs> with its seven branches, it was all about representing God's presence. And so they didn't allow it to go out. It had to be constantly supplied uh, with oil by the priests so that that couldn't happen because that would sort of indicate uh, metaphorically at least that um, God was not with his people um, you know, the Holy of Holies being the uh, the representation of God's presence with uh, his people in the temple of the tabernacle. So I think it's really important to understand it representing God in that sense because that was a spur to the people in their role. Others have suggested that it could be uh, the community of exiles that have returned and so it's just them collectively. Um, and usually people have come to that because they uh, struggle perhaps with this ornate candelabra being God and and thinking, oh, well, it sort of seems to have outside supply because there's this oil coming into it from the olive trees and God is the source of all things, so nothing needs to flow into him. You know, concerns about how we're representing God, perhaps driving people to think outside of it. But it just, those other theories don't sit with what we know throughout the Old Testament. It would be a strange shift if that were true. Um, so I think it's best represented Uh, representative of God. And I think I said a couple of weeks ago when we were looking at uh, chapter 2 that um, the book of Ezekiel I think is really helpful as we look at the book of Zechariah in terms of God's presence with his people. And we looked at that as a church uh, some years ago now. But in in Ezekiel chapter 10, you have God's presence leaving the temple. Um, The people have failed so dismally with their idolatry and they're about to be sent into exile. And so God sort of... um, you know, it's the foreshadowing of the exile that he is going to be absent. He's leaving because he can no longer be present with his people in their sin. And so the glory cloud that had filled the temple leaves and moves to the east over the Mount of Olives. And so, um, yeah, I think then at the end of the book of Ezekiel in chapter 43, it's pictured that one day God will return and his presence, his glory cloud will come back. And that's what we're seeing in Zechariah as well. God is about to return Um, but the temple needs to be rebuilt that will be the place uh, where he's symbolically present. Um, So it's it's important to hear all that background, I think, as we think about the importance of God's presence with his people. Mm. And while we're in the realm of symbolism, um, with regard to the two olive trees beside the menorah, you also mentioned that there have been different interpretations of this, why do they represent Zechariah and Haggai rather than the two other figures like Joshua and Zerubbabel? And why does that matter? Yeah, again, I think it's important. Lots of people have had theories. I've heard a number from our home groups about who these two figures could be. And, you know, people speculate um, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And that's understandable. Like, I, I think it's good that we're all thinking hard about these visions. They're not straightforward and 
you know, people can uh, come to it with different ideas. I think the reason, though, that it, uh, it needs to be Zachariah and Haggai is because of what um, we're getting in this chapter, um, the focus on God's spirit in the first part, uh, especially in verse 6, and the focus on his word in the second part. And so these two um, prophets who were the... Uh, you know, together were really the spur to see things go forward. God was speaking through them to the people. His word went to the Israelites through them, uh, that this was uh, really key. If we have them being Joshua the high priest, who's an intermediary between God and the people, or Zerubbabel, who's the governor that's just making stuff happen, he's the sort of puppet ruler under the Persian Empire at this time, then that doesn't have that connection with God's word and him driving it. Yes, he, they might be spirit-anointed or empowered by God, that's true, but you could say that of any and every leader. And so the prophet primarily is the spokesperson for God and is representative of his voice. So I think it's really good to see... Um, you know, spirit and word together in this passage because it's a theme that goes throughout Scripture. Um, you see it lots of times. Jesus speaks this way even when he's talking to the disciples in John 14 about how um, they need to depend on his spirit to remind them of the things that he has taught them. And although that's specific to the 12 disciples at that point, that is something that's picked up throughout the rest of the New Testament as well. Uh, so, for example, 1 Peter 1, uh, verse 12, talks about when they spoke of the things that have now been told to you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. And so it's this working of God. His word goes out with power because it's enabled and empowered by the Spirit indwelling those that are presenting the message. So I think it's really good for us to see mm. these two things coming together in Zechariah 4. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm, I'm loving the way that uh, reading or seeing these themes in the Old Testament and sort of already being familiar with them in the New Testament. But, um, yeah, it's just bringing more life to my existing understanding. And um, and that, to me, just just enriches my my love of God so much more, and just and just seeing the way He He's moving through redemption history and 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 working all of these things out, um, yeah, yeah, I'm loving it. Um, I just want to hover over your main point of trusting in the promises of God, because in terms of how it impacts our lives, it's pretty vast. Uh, we see it, you know, on a big level when we consider the promises He's making to the Israelites. I mean, now it's relevant to the wider church as we await Jesus' return and the restoration of all things. But the promises of God, they also affect us so intimately um, and individually. You know, we know he's with us in our pain. He promises that he'll direct our steps. Um, his promises in our lives are all-encompassing. But at times, that can be really hard to take hold of that reality that God is actively at work. What does Zechariah show us about the character of God that can help us make those steps toward believing that God will be true to his word? Yeah, I think it's a really important question for our lives, as you've mentioned, and I think it's uh, it draws us back to God's unchanging character. I think that's the first thing we have to we need to know His character, but we have to realize that it won't uh, change. He doesn't shift around, as the Bible says, as humans often do. And so today, uh, you know, yesterday, today, forever, God is always the same. Uh, we're told in Scripture, and so God's faithfulness is something we can depend upon is the track record of God in the Old Testament is a crucial thing um, that you know scripture always goes back to well you can be sure of this because remember what God did 
in the Exodus from Egypt, for example. This refrain will come out throughout Scripture. Mm -hmm. So I think for ourselves, when we apply that today, we've got to think, okay, I'm being called to look at God's faithfulness, and I need to go back at the track record, not only that's given in Scripture, as I can see him working through his old covenant people and then in the New Testament, but in my own life. So I need to look back and think, okay, well, remember, I faced that crisis 10 years ago or whatever happened, and God you know, worked in this amazing way. I saw his faithfulness to me then. Why is it any different today? And so, so often we forget what God has done in our life, but we've got a testimony ready-made, you know, in our own memory of the events of our own life that we can look back on and be assured of God's goodness and faithfulness to us. You know, and I think in Zechariah we're seeing over and over, well, he promised to, you know, send you to Babylon for 70 years and bring you back, and he's done that, right? And so now as he calls you to this, then you can be sure that his promises will be fulfilled. So... I think God's faithfulness is important. I think the other thing that helps us trust is uh, we often feel um, helpless because, you know, events happen in this world and we can't stop it or control it. And I think sometimes we we put our sense of things being out of control onto God as if um, he's not sovereign. And so we doubt his power, perhaps, or his knowledge of our particular situation. And so I think we've got to keep coming back to God's omnipotence, his power, his omniscience, his knowledge, that we can't do it. That's right. But he can. He sees everything. He knows everything. He can act. He has acted in our life. We can trust his goodness and faithfulness. Um, and above all, I think, you know, the great theme of Scripture is love, too. Um, uh, 1 John 4, God is love. If we we're going to sort of encapsulate uh, the nature of God's character, then he has good and loving plans for us. Um, and so we need to hold on to those things. But we get shaken so easily by events, and that's why I think we, we forget these things or we start to doubt that um, God will act consistently as he has before. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, your sermon hit upon a recurring theme throughout the New Testament of strength and weakness. You drew a comparison between the Israelites during Zechariah's time and modern-day believers who trust in God through the empowerment by the Holy Spirit. They and we are called to not be reliant on our own strength, but to depend on the strength of God. Uh, not only is this a countercultural idea, um, it can be really scary to admit that you're out of material, you know, that you've, you, you are at your wit's end, uh, you have nothing left, um, whatever that may look like for mm -hmm. you. What words of comfort can you give us and perhaps even guidance on how we fall on our face before God to allow him to be at work in our lives? Yeah, I think firstly, we've got to be absolutely convicted of some central realities of our world. Um, that is that there is a heaven and a hell, that a person only has a short life. Um, you know, we, we did a series a while back looking at some of these called Gripped. And yeah, we, we were doing it for that reason, that we've really got to be convicted about these basic things so that we see what is at stake, um, you know, and then realizing how much is at stake as I, um, in my own life, as I speak to others, especially those around me who are yet to trust in Jesus, um, I'll realize that, um, you know, they're in great danger if they're yet to come uh, to a knowledge of his salvation. And so um, that will then drive me to appreciate how desperately I need to pray. Like, I can't make this happen. I can't make this person a Christian. Only God can do this thing. And so I think I need to be convicted first of these realities of God's 
salvation and judgment, and then through that, that I would actually be dependent upon him in prayer. I think a lot of the time, um, yeah, we express, sadly, a prayerlessness, even as Christians, about these things or, the, um, you know, our, it becomes anxiety or fears perhaps about um, people in our lives that are yet to um, put their trust in Jesus. But until we're really convinced uh, of what's at stake and convinced that we can't make it happen, <laughs> then we won't be driven to prayer as we should be. Um, and if we're not convicted that um, everything is on the line, then we won't pray because we think it doesn't matter that they haven't made a decision or that I don't feel the weight of that in my own life and my desire to share with them the good news. So I, I think there's some foundational things here that we have to be um, grasping. And I think that will guide us then to really be having God's heart rather than um, hearing the world's voice and thinking these things don't matter and me stepping back into complacency, not being concerned for those around me. Mm. Um, I want to pick up on that idea uh, that we all need to do the work of God. Um, thank you for explaining, yeah, how, how we are doing that in his strength. Um, but I, I guess I'm getting a bit personal here. Sometimes I wonder if I have everything I need to do all that God has called me to do. And I know rationally, like I can I can look at scripture and I can see that he's promised yeah. um, that when I am weak, he is strong. Yeah. Um, as someone who belongs to Christ, you know, I have access to the creator of the universe. Yeah. Um, you know, his every resource is at my disposal. What do you think are the common obstacles in trusting that God will empower us to fulfill this monumental task of building his church and spreading his good news? Yeah, I think sometimes we believe the lie that um, the devil would ultimately sow, and sometimes uh, fellow Christians even can confuse us about that, you know, perhaps we don't have all the resources. So I think firstly we have to be convicted, as you said, that we uh, we do have everything we need. Ephesians 1, 3, every spiritual blessing in Christ, that's what we have. Um, so I, I've got to believe that, not just um, notionally assent to that's an idea. Um, and then secondly, I've got to be confident as a result that um, – Yes, I have got that, and if, as I um, look at the needs around me, um, then yes, I can always be further equipped. Perhaps I'm lacking confidence because, yeah, I believe that God has resourced me, but I just feel my own human frailty and I, I don't do this well or I, I don't feel equipped to say the right thing or whatever mm -hmm. it might be. I think we can always be trained and equipped further. This is why we need to be in a home group, we need to be built up in our faith, we need to be trained in evangelism if we're trying to share you know, the good news, whatever it might be. But uh, to take that step, if we really feel convicted, then let's become further equipped um, and not just say, oh, well, I can't do it. Because otherwise then we kind of retreat into uh, especially when it comes to sharing the good news, oh, it's a specialist thing. You know, the evangelist has to do it or the pastor or the missionary, you know, and I'm not the person to do it. And in fact, I could convince myself from Scripture perhaps that, you know, I, I don't need to have that responsibility and somebody else needs to do the job and I can just tap out. But, um, yeah, Scripture doesn't give us that allowance at all. And so um, I really got to... Um, see that I have a role to play. But then I think finally, too, we've really got to engage then with the world around us. We might know all those things. Perhaps we're equipped even. Perhaps we're convinced that we have a role to play in the Great Commission as we do. But um, I spend so little time um, cultivating friendships with non-believers 
whether in my family or friends or whatever, that I have very few people actually that I can share with. They're just not part of my life because I've shrunk my world down to just a, perhaps a small circle of Christian friends. I'm not really then engaging with those, however equipped I am. So I've really got to um, invest in those things and deliberately build that into my week. Think about, okay, well, is this opportunity that I have through this sport or hobby or whatever that I'm involved in to meet with other people? Or it's maybe it's through if I'm you know, married with children through the contacts I have through my children and the things they're doing that I might come in contact with other adults and have the opportunity mm. um, to befriend them and then draw them into the life of God's people or at least into the circle of my Christian friends as well so that they see that I'm not the only one that believes these things mm. about Jesus and this is a legitimate worldview to have. So I think there's a whole series of things that we mm. can do, uh, but we've really got to be engaged in it. Um, you know, and we could always read Sam Chan's book if we're worried about, <laughs> you know, being that guy that we don't yes. say things poorly or, you know, in a yeah. ham-fisted way. Oh, I can highly recommend How to Talk About Jesus Without Being That Guy by Sam Chan. Oh, I bought, I don't know how many copies at my last church. It is phenomenal. And it just makes evangelism feel so doable. Um, but I feel like as you were as you were reflecting then, um, I feel like there's a discipline issue, you know, there you talk about being engaged and getting equipped. It's all about really setting out that plan and being disciplined and choosing because it is easy to slip into feeling comfortable as you said mm -hmm. we just get surrounded by our you know what's it oh, there's a there's a phrase um about being you know the christian crowd kind of thing mm. um but yeah we need to choose and to plan um to to get ourselves out of that that comfortable place yep. um so i'm going to move on to something that you know for a lot of us might not feel very comfortable um mm. you spoke at the end of the sermon about being sent or at least praying for those who have been sent to share the gospel uh this idea of being sent do you need to be a formal missionary or go overseas to be considered sent um or can we be on mission as it were in wollongong yeah, we can not only be on mission, but we should be on mission. It, it's an imperative in the Bible that, you know, we're all sent. The Great Commission is just not to the original 12 disciples in Matthew 28, but by extension, the horizon of Matthew 28 goes to the end of the ages, verse 20. So, it kept, you know, we're caught up in it. Um, Jesus is envisaging that he will be with them to the very end of the ages. Well, those 12 are only going to last a few years, and so it's the disciples that will follow them, you know, that certainly encompasses us. And you read passages like, 2 Corinthians 5, where Paul is an ambassador of Christ and those with him. But by extension, again, we are ambassadors of Christ. We have a job. We've already been tapped on the shoulder. We're part of God's work. And so, yes, we don't have to be a missionary sent somewhere overseas. We should be on mission wherever we are. And there's great need in the Illawarra. I think a couple of weeks previous when I was preaching on Zechariah 2, I sort of applied it in terms of thinking about our local area and the need for evangelism. But I guess this time around I was broadening it out to think about the whole scope of the world. And both are important. It's not an either or, it's a both and. And so local, global, you know, as a church, as an individual, I need to think about both. I can support missionaries overseas. I can be on mission locally. I can be sent overseas. Um, you know, all of those things are true. So, yeah, I think we've got to be really convicted about that and, and see that this is an important part of my maturing, of being a disciple of Jesus. That's not an optional extra for the experts, but it's part of who I am now. I've got such great news. I've been saved from my sin. It's got to just overflow and come out in my conversation. Others will hear it. That should be just part of the DNA. That's who I am.
Yeah, absolutely. A big thing to be praying for ourselves and I'm going to ask you now about that. Mm. Uh, yeah, finally, cu- I'm curious about what your personal convictions were as you prepared this sermon, aside from anything you've already shared. How will you be praying for us and for yourself in light of this passage? Yeah, I think it's there's a lot of things. Uh, if I was going to boil it down, I would say that we need to step out expectantly like a couple of the examples I gave. Um, as everyone knows, I love history and I love um, giving stories from history as part of the illustration. But like the ones I shared, I think, are just uh, typical of the kind of things that inspire me as I reflect on them. So whether um, it's William Carey going to India or Evan Roberts and the Welsh Revival, I mean, these were people that just said, well, God said that we should go out and take the gospel and so we're going to do it. And he said he's with us. We've been resourced with everything. And they just went and did it. Mm. While everyone else was around them was sort of saying, oh, do you think we can really do that? Oh, but maybe you're not equipped enough, especially Evan Roberts. Like, you're just this young guy. What do you know about doing this stuff for? Um, and so there's our natural default is to pull back, to find excuse, to think we're not able or that. Um, but I think in the end, it's unbelief that we really are not uh, taking hold of God's promises and just stepping out Um so we have a great God. Um, he expects us to step forward in serving him, and we have so many opportunities to do that. Um, now, we don't have to be William Carey. Um, you know, um, it, it doesn't matter who we are. It's not about comparing ourselves to someone else. It's being inspired that the gospel is powerful, that when people um, show the smallest bit of faith and just step out and share in whatever context they're in, that God meets us in those moments mm-hmm. and does more than we can ever imagine. Um, so, yeah, I think that verse in Ephesians 3, uh, 3 that um, you know, God is able to do more than we can ever imagine uh, is, is a great one to grasp hold of too. Um, and I shared towards the end of the sermon, you know, Jesus' statement, Matthew 16, verse 18, that he will build his church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. Well, do we believe that or not? Mm. And if we do, then I would act on that. And and I think the simplicity and just the let's step forward and do it of somebody like a William Carey or an Evan Roberts is mm. inspiring. Why aren't we doing that too? We should. Um, and results, small or big, don't matter. God looks after the results. We're just called to step out and be faithful. And what a relief. <laughs> The end, the end point is not up to us. We just need to be faithful. We're just called to be obedient. Yeah. And if we ask, I think if we ask for him to show us those small little steps, he will. And, um, you know, and in my experience, he has made it abundantly clear that he's with me. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's from those little steps that we build up to the big things. Yeah. Um, yeah thank you so much, Rod, for, for fleshing that all out for us today. That's been super helpful. Um, Before we wrap up, I just wanted to send all our listeners a big, bold invitation to send your questions in. Um, I imagine that out of the 300 or so people that hear our sermons each week, there would be at least a dozen, hopefully more, that have questions or even reflections on the sermon. We want to hear from you. Please don't be shy. Or if you are shy, get your mate to send the question in for you. Uh, There are multiple ways for you to ask your questions. You can DM or private message us through the Facebook pages. If you're super cool, you can do it through Instagram. Uh, you can email us at admin at gongbaptist.net or you can keep it old school and talk to one of our pastors on Sunday. It really does make for compelling listening when we have questions that represent the diversity in our church and not just my little musings. Uh, so I will include all our contact details in the episode description, uh, but you can also find all of this on our website. 
So thanks again for joining us today and we'll catch you next week. This has been a podcast of the Wollongong Baptist Church. You can listen to past sermons and deeper podcasts and also find information about our Sunday services on our website at wollongongbaptist.org. 